All right, welcome back to the Christian Tactician Podcast. I am your host, Adam Yates. Thank you so much for taking some time today to spend some time with me. I am so very thankful, so thankful that I have this opportunity to be a part of this outreach. I'm grateful for uh, listeners that I have um, who have reached out to me and who have uh, offered up their encouragement to me and who have verified that, that what I'm trying to do here is of value to them. Um, in, in past episodes, I've asked you guys if there was something you wanted to say to me or something you wanted me to, to address. I had, had directed you that there's a way for you to contact me, and, and in my complete ignorance, I apologize. I, I didn't give you guys any way to do it, and uh, so there is a, my, my hosting site is Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, and there's an app you can download, or if you go to it on your laptop, and, uh, and when you go to my particular uh, podcast there, there's a way that you can leave me a voice message if you want to do so, and there have been some who have done that, and I, I just appreciate your words of encouragement. I appreciate the thoughts that you present to me. Thank you so much for it. Please continue. I said it in past podcasts. I'm going to say it again. I, I want what I do here to be effective. I want what I do here to be something that's worthwhile to you. And if there's something that you feel like you would like to hear addressed in a different way, perhaps, than you've heard it addressed or questions you have, uh, give it to me. I'd, I'd like an opportunity. We'll see if, if I can answer your questions, if there's something going on in my head that is able to help things clear up in your head. But ultimately, you know, you uh, when you give me something to consider, I'm going to put it before the Lord and, and let Him uh, direct my thoughts. There's something that I could say or do that would help you in your life. Remember that God is a God of purpose. He created you to be a man. He knows how to help you in it. He knows how to get you where He wants you to be. He, uh, like you should be, he has an expectation. He knows where he wants you to go. He puts you in a place where you are uniquely able to do it. But I I want you to remember this, is we're not able to do anything. We're not able to have a good outcome uh, ultimately, if if the Lord's not in it, I'm not going to talk about it in this podcast. But in previous ones, I've talked about fighting with with uh, Satan's tools and fighting with the Lord's tools. I'm going to do a podcast about that here soon. But I want you to remember that that you know God, He's got a purpose. He knows how to get you where He wants you to go, and He He has He has ways to do it, and He has tools and methods that He. Uh, puts in his scripture that if we look at and if we put to use, we will we will be better and we'll be able to get where he wants us to to go. I want you to think about that. I want you to, to remember that there are four aspects of a man uh, and and that I want you to, to consider all the time. A man is a man of action. He doesn't stand by idle. A man is a man of responsibility. He accepts and desires responsibility. A man is a man of leadership. He's visible. He leads from the front, the difficult and the easy things. He's the one. He sets the standard. And that last and, to me, the the most important one that draws it all together is a man is a man of expectation. You know, I had somebody ask me the other day. I was sitting down. I was doing a job at their house. And we began talking about about things and about manhood. And I had this opportunity to tell him, this is what I think a man is. Action, responsibility, leadership, expectation. And I could see, you know, I began by asking this man, you tell me what a man is. And he sat there scratching his head. This this is the struggle. This is uh, uh, the trouble in, in this world. This is why I, I, I wanted so much to do this podcast. Give you guys a picture. Dogs also bark at what they do not know. We are 
uh, we are concerned, we are afraid of things that we don't know and we don't understand. It's just the way it is. I mean, that's a human trait. And it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse over the years because there's there's a, a poor picture of manhood and one that, that is, that is uh, closer to the picture that Satan would have us to see than the one that Christ would have us to see. It's a picture of manhood that this world has been putting out that's about uh, hatred, it's about violence, it's about ultimate pride, it's about satisfaction, it's about da- uh, being treading on, on others. And, and that's not Christ. And, and I want to call you, call you higher, call you to Christ-like manhood. It's tough. It, it's not easy. And we're going to talk some more today about about some of these challenges. I had promised you in my last one, I said I was going to have to do uh, a second uh, part of this. And so today I want you to get ready for round two. All right, round two of how to fight. I'm not going to go through everything I went through in that first episode in my first podcast on how to fight. I just want to remind you just a couple things. I said, let's not do it. We'll do everything we can to not fight. Uh, well, I talked to you about when it when we come to fighting, you know, fighting means uh, that there is going to be a winner and a loser. And in your marriage, in your relationships, what you are hoping for is oneness. Whether that's in your marriage or whether it's in a friendship with your best friend, whatever it is, you know, you ultimately want to be joined together. And, and we can't have that if we have a winner and a loser, unless both sides win. And, and I want you to think about that. I talked about in there, among other things, and I don't have my notes on that in front of me. I'm pulling them just off the top of my head, but you know, I talked about the golden rule always applies. We're always going to do unto others the way we want things to be done to us and the way we want God to deal with us. We're going to talk about that some more here as we talk about round two. And I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to encourage you, if it's been a while since you've listened to my previous podcast on how to fight, I'm going to ask you to stop this one. Go back and listen to that. It's an hour. I'm long-winded. I'm sorry, guys. There's so much that I want to try to to give you to think about uh, and, and listen to that and then come back and listen to this one. So here we go. I'm going to begin with the scripture, and I'm going to begin with 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 11. It says this, Finally be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. There's a lot of things in here, and I'm going to actually, at the end of this, I'm going to read a, another portion, another verse out of First Peter chapter 3, but I want you to consider this. I hope that when you're done with this podcast, you go, you open up your scriptures, you open up your Bible app on your phone, whatever it is, and you look at these four verses and consider everything that it says. It calls first off, and he's and he's not talking necessarily to husbands and wives. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to followers of Christ, and he says, I want you to be of one mind, united, united, coming together, united. You know, this is what I was talking about in the previous one, that, you know, those of you who are married, you didn't get married so that you'd be two separate people. Christ says that a man's going to leave his father and mother. He's going to come together with his wife, and he says those two are going to become one flesh. They're going to become one, not two different people. And and we want that, like I said earlier, in our friendships. We want that in relationships. Uh, We don't necessarily want someone who is going to be an identical to us in every thought and all that, but we want to be together. That's what builds relationships, right? It's, It's common ground. It's understanding of each other. And so he's saying, you know, this is important for your Christian walk. This is important for your church. This is all these things that we come together. We have one mind. 
It says to have compassion one of another. You know, compassion is putting somebody else, their needs, their wants, their fears, their concerns, everything ahead of yourself, looking at them with, with a desire for their blessing. It says to love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, you know, looking to the needs of other people. Verse 9 to me is so important if we're talking about conflict, not rendering evil for evil. I'm going to give about nine things that, that I want you to consider, that I want to encourage you when it comes to conflict, when it comes to potential arguments and things like that in your life, and your marriage. And number nine has to do with not throwing darts at one another, not giving Strike for strike. This says not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. If you and your marriage are trading blows, you are failing. And there is nothing good that can or will come of it because it is not the tool of Christ. It's the tool of Satan and no good can come from it. A good tree can't bring forth bitter fruit. So it says not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing. You know, when people, I've said it in this last one, when someone is doing, is, 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 is angry, is frustrated, they're wanting to lash out. It's so hard. When that other person is coming with love and with compassion and with asking for forgiveness, this this is what we're called to. It says, you are called for this, that you should also inherit a blessing. It says, he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. That we are speaking and we are acting and we are doing things in the love of Christ. Let him eschew evil. Let him, let him hate it and do good. And it says, and I want to encourage you to this, let him seek peace and ensue it. You know, ensue is, is I look at that word like pursue it. It's something that we are constantly trying to obtain. We're working for peace, not conflict. Love, not hatred. Peace. I'm going to jump real quick before I start in my in in the numbers of things that I want us to consider. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 5, 25 through 33. For you men who are married, this is a, a really good dissertation about, about how you're supposed to look at your responsibilities. But, you know, in this, uh, Paul, he, he lays it out. He says, I'm talking about husbands and wives, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He says, I'm, I'm telling you the way Christ handles the church and all the people who are part of it, you as one of his children, as part of his bride in the church. How does Christ handle? And and this is something that has got to be essential when you find yourself in a position of conflict. Can you separate yourself for just a moment to consider how Christ would handle you? Because you find yourself, I guarantee it, in conflict with Christ all the time. You do. You sin. You lie. You, you frustrate him. You do things that, man, I've got to be so obnoxious to the Lord. I mean, I've, I've got to be, so something that I hate, I, I hate people chewing with their mouth open. It just drives me nuts, right? And and I can hear it. It's like my hearing is not as good as it ever used to be, but it's like I can hear it a mile away and it just grates on me. And I bet that I do these things that Christ can hear a mile away and it just grates on him. But how does he deal with me? We're talking about his example. So Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we're members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. 
So there's a, there's a ton here. I'm not going to break it down a whole lot, but what I want you to just consider is, is it says, listen, Paul says, husbands, I want you to look and I want you to, to imagine you are, uh, I want you to take your example of Christ and your wife is the example of the church. And what is he doing for the church? What did he do? Well, for his people, for the church, for those he loved, for those who, who dedicated themselves, you know, Christ, he, he suffered, suffered. Consider Christ's suffering that he did not have to go through. He, he didn't have to give himself. He didn't have to get beaten. He didn't have to get uh, spit upon. He didn't have to, to uh, have nails pounded through him and hung until he suffocated and died. But he did. He gave himself for it. And your relationship with your wife should be sacrificial. It says that that he was his his effort was to sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of water by the word. You know, the the things that he did was patterned after what his what his father had said. This is this is what my requirements for righteousness are. And it says in verse 27, what was his goal? His goal was to present himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. You know, Christ, in his efforts to perfect us as people, it's so that we are beautiful, so that we are something that is holy. And I want you to think about that when it comes to you and your relationships. Does abuse make something beautiful? Does anger make something beautiful? Do those things bring forth something that is glorious, something that is beautiful to look upon, something that is desired? It doesn't. It has never. It won't. So I want you to think about these things. So I'm going to go in and I'm going to talk about this. How do we have conversations when we disagree? So I have some things here. This is clearly not going to be a complete list and as you listen to it, and especially I know I have some uh, some ministry who listen to this, I know there's going to be things that you're going to say, ah, you missed this one, you missed that one. You know, I sat down and I and I hammered out a handful of these, and then I went over it with my wife and thought about it and prayed about it some more, and I thought, this is, this is what I'm going to present today. And I may have some more later, but I want to go through these things here. These are things that I've had to put to use in my life. My wife and I, we have a wonderful marriage. And we don't have a wonderful marriage because we both always see eye to eye. We don't have a wonderful marriage because we're not opinionated, because it's very much the opposite way. We don't have a wonderful marriage because we've never had trouble or trial come, because, man, we've had it. We've had difficult situations. We've had financial concerns. All these things that cause people to have trouble in their marriage, we've gone through, and yet we are stronger than ever before. And it's because uh, we have let the Lord's uh, word and his direction and his pattern work in our life. And it has taken work. It's been work for me. It's been work for me because I am a prideful man. I am a man who I want to be right. I'm someone who I want people to look at me. I'm one who I want to lead in everything. I'm one who I feel like if something comes into my mind, it's got to be right. I mean, this is me. and And I know a lot of you are like this. It just doesn't work in marriage. Because we have two people who are supposed to become one, which means a joining together of both of them. Number one, how do we have conversations when we disagree? Number one, consider the desired outcome. I want you to think about what you are trying to prove or to accomplish. Is it to solve a problem, to address a concern or some hurt? What is it that you're looking to accomplish? Is it because you're angry and you want to lash out and take your frustration out? What are you trying to accomplish? You know, we should be men who consider everything that we do. It, it's important that you consider what you do. That We don't just, just, just float through life, but that we're intentional about things. And so I want you to think about that. Uh, if you find yourself frustrated and you begin to enter into a conversation that's likely to cause a contention or that you're already fired up or whatever it is, control. Get some self-control and ask yourself, what am I trying to accomplish here? 
is what I am trying to accomplish, is it going to draw us together or is it going to push us apart? What do I want my relationship to look like after this conversation is over? Can this be done in the middle of an argument? Sure, as long as you're seeking to be in control of yourself and your emotions. We should always be considering our desired outcome. It's part of that expectation point of being a man. What's my expectation from this? Am I trying to to uh, let them know that my wife know that she she hurt my feelings and what she said? Okay, then how do I go about it so that I get the desired outcome? So she recognizes that, hey, that hurt. Please don't do that again. Is the desired outcome that we try to make a change? So how do I do that? We talked in the last one about change, is that it only comes when somebody makes that decision themselves. So how, how do I accomplish that? By ramming something down her throat? Wow, that's not really that's not really accomplishing what I'm looking to. So I want you to think about that. What is the desired outcome? Number two, can you separate yourself from your opinion or your thoughts in order to hear the other side? No one likes to not be heard. You don't like that. Men, you don't like that. How many times have you shared frustration because they're not listening to me? We want to be heard. Now, are you doing that? Remember, it's leadership. And I understand that we we have these, these, these things that come up that we have very strong opinions of. It takes a great deal of maturity to be able to step away from my opinions to consider the other side. But I want you to look at this. There's this, there's this proverb, Proverbs 18, 13. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Consider that when we make a decision or we make a knee-jerk reaction to something, we haven't actually heard it. We haven't actually considered it. I don't need to hear what you have to say. I don't agree with it. It's shame. You have no clue. And and what I have found so oftentimes, I learned this as a police officer, so often people just want to be able to share their thoughts. They want someone to hear their side. And it especially happens with your wives. You know, women, and I'm no expert, right? I'm, I'm not an expert, but I have recognized this in my life, and other people have recognized it as well enough that I feel like this is probably the truth. Sometimes women, they just need to get something off their chest. They just need to say it. It just needs to be spoken. And that's all they're looking to do. And, you know, men, we have a hard time allowing that. We have a hard time, especially when we're frustrated. But I, w- I want to challenge you to, to separate yourself from your opinion or your own thoughts in order to hear what that other person is saying. I want you to remember that emotions are not necessarily rational. And it's, and there's, you know, it's absolutely pointless to let somebody else's emotions get you going. But listen to what it is that they have to say. You know, sometimes it is that uh, that you have done something that frustrates them or that hurt them, and you had a good reason for doing it, and you would do it again. But what you lacked hearing or what you didn't consider when you made that decision or took that action or whatever it was, that it might hurt them. And, and unless they're able to, to share that with you, you'll never be better next time. So I want, I want to encourage you to be able to hear out the other side. That is a basic thing in our society. If you are listening to this in the United States of America, I want you to understand that being able to have both sides openly shared is something that was so essential that it was part of why the American Revolution was fought. You you ever thought about that? That you have a right to face your accuser, that everybody has a right to share their own side, their own opinion, their their own facts, whatever it is, and for it to be heard and considered. So think about that. There's nothing that, that, well, it's not nothing, but there's, it's so damaging when we get into an argument or some sort of a conversation. We say, I don't even have to hear what you have to say. I disagree with it. You'll never win. We always need to hear out the other side. And, and that requires you to be able to separate yourself from your emotion, from your opinion, from your thought, and able to hear and consider what it is that they're saying. Number three, you can apologize. 
You can apologize for hurting someone without agreeing with their point of view. Sometimes we hurt people unintentionally, and sometimes our opinion or our decision causes hurt or pain, which which isn't what we tried to do, even though we stand behind our decision or our opinion or whatever it is. There have been times in my marriage where I've made decisions and it was rash or, or not rash, but I didn't think it out or I didn't consider it. I didn't, didn't ask my wife about it, and it had an effect on her. And, and I would still make that decision to this day, but I, I didn't do it the way that I should have. And maybe it was even the right decision to make, which is why I would do it again. But the fact that I didn't involve her in it, or the fact that, that it had some sort of an effect on her and she didn't know about it, whatever it is, it hurt her. I can apologize for that. You can apologize. Because, you know, as I talked about in my previous podcast, our, our effort should never be to hurt somebody else. And so if we do, we should be willing to apologize my desire is not to hurt my wife, nor to hurt anybody else. I'm in, I'm, you know, I have all these relationships, friendships, and, and, and all these things, and I'm not in it because I want to tear somebody up. Sometimes it happens, and it's not, it's not what I meant to do. Even if the actions that cause that pain is something that I, that, that, that I thought was the right thing. And I hope you understand that. It's always important to be willing to apologize. We hurt somebody, we need to apologize for it. It should bother you. When somebody is, has had their feelings hurt, when your wife has been hurt by something that you've done, man, that, sh- that should hurt you. That should be something that, that you want to throw out all the stops to let her know that, hey, honey, this is not what I was out to do, and I'm sorry for it. Sometimes people just want to hear I'm sorry, but but from the heart, not like how my kids apologize to each other, because that's every one of you as kids, you know exactly what it's like. They do something, they hurt another, you need to go apologize. Sorry. Yeah, that's real genuine trying to teach my kids about that. I should be better than that, right? You should be. If you are someone who who Christ's words and his attitude and 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 you know his his mindset and his heart is where you're trying to be is what you're trying to be a part of, you should be bothered by the pain of others. So you can apologize for hurting someone without agreeing with their point of view. This is important when it comes to contention, when it comes to an argument because especially when you're talking about I talked about in my previous podcast, two people who are the closest, who are the most intimate, who know the buttons to push, who are able beyond uh, any other else anybody else's ability to hurt each other. You guys are the closest. You're one or you're supposed to be. It should hurt you when they're hurt. It should bother you, and it should be something that you want to take care of. And men, be a leader. Take care of it. Number four, do not ever have a mind to injure or hurt the other person. If this is part of you, if you in, in your life, if you're so frustrated that you say, I just want to do something to hurt them, you are just being torn apart by the tools of Satan. He is he is having a heyday with you. Th- that's not why you became a part of this relationship. You became a part of this relationship in order to come together and become one. Luke eleven seventeen. but he knowing their thoughts said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and a house divided against a house falleth. You will never have a good relationship if you are trying to hurt the other person. It will never work. It can't work because it will drive somebody apart. Do you want to be apart uh, or, or to hang around with someone who, uh, who punches you all the time? No, you're going to get away from me. You don't want to be hurt. How do you think that you're going to bring a marriage, bring a relationship to an understanding, to blessing, to, to a good outcome? When you're trying to hurt the other person, and and you know those of you who have children, you've watched your children. You know my my youngest son, he does this. Someone else hurts him, and so his first instinct is to go and hurt them back. And it never has a good outcome. But we we do this. We do this. 
And as I'm saying all these things, I want you to hearken back to Ephesians chapter 5. How does Christ deal with his people? Because I would say that we have contention with Christ frequently. Not not him having contention with us necessarily. We have contention with him and his words. I mean, there's there's there is, I feel like there there is a disagreement so often between us as humans and our human ways and Christ all the time. So what does he do? Number five, not everyone is going to see everything the same. It's okay to have differing opinions. It's all right. It doesn't mean that one person is better than the other because they see things differently. But part of being uh, in a relationship, part of two people coming together is being able to find peace despite not seeing everything the same. There are things that my wife and I, we, we just do not agree on. I don't understand why she sees something a certain way that I, that I do, or a different way than I do. And I can either let that eat me up, or I can find a way to find peace. You know, we had to compromise when it came to how we discipline our children. We had to compromise when it came to how we spend our money. We have to compromise on all sorts of things. You know, recently we had to come to a compromise on on on, on what we were going to make some some financial decisions on and things like that. You know, and, and we weren't necessarily coming from the same point of view. We're not always going to see things the same. Compromise is how two people come together. Life is about give and take. You can allow the fact that your wife sees something differently than you to eat you up, or you can understand that you have two people who are who are having different experiences in life, who have come from different places, and who see things different. And how can you find Find a middle ground that is good for both of you. Compromise is how two people come together. And ultimately, if you're looking for someone to, to, to make a difference or help to see things your way, whatever it is, being able to give and take opens that opens up the opportunity for someone to truly see things where you're coming from. When you pound your stakes in so hard that you can never be moved, you, you've shown yourself to be someone who is unable to compromise, who is unable to see things from a different point of view. It's okay that people are going to see things differently. How can you pursue, ensue peace despite that? Number six for me, are there hills worth dying on? You know, there are things in life that I feel like are worth every moment of our battle. And, and I'm thinking about in my marriage. So what would some things be that I would not be willing to compromise on that? I would say, we are going to change this. And I still wouldn't make it a screaming and yelling match, but it's something that I would be on until, until we find a good solution. And, you know, the, the ground rules or the standard for, for what those things are would be the scriptures, right? But what's some hills worth dying on for me? My wife, we're gambling away our money. That's a hill worth dying on. We are going to solve this in a right way so that we can uh, we can provide for our needs, things like that. Um, pornography addiction, hill worth dying on. Uh, some of these things that can, that can absolutely, we know, destroy relationships. That's something that, that I am not going to compromise on. If I can look and see in the scriptures that it says this is destructive, then we're going to work on this. We are going to revisit this. We're going to, to, to find a way to get a plan in place to fix this. There will be no compromise on this. But is the way that your house decorated a hill worth dying on? Is how this other person rolls the toothpaste something worth fighting about, worth worth causing uh, frustration or or bringing about contention? You know, I, there's a there's a story I've. I've heard a, a brother in the church say that early on in his marriage, you know, it was a hill worth dying on for him before he grew up and he matured and realized it just didn't matter. The way the toilet paper goes on the toilet paper roll 
Does it come over the top or does it come from the bottom? I mean, does it really matter? You know, right now, my, my business right now is, is I remodel kitchens and I do cabinetry and all that, you know, and I don't get uh, why men oftentimes want to be so involved in the decoration of their kitchen or of their house. And, and I'm not saying because it's only a woman who's in there cooking. I'm saying that it's always going to matter to my wife more how something looks than it is to me. And and in the end, you know, I think about it. I, I, I've been in these places where, where guys are so worried about what the bathroom looks like. And I'm like, dude, what do you do in the bathroom? Because I know what I do in the bathroom. And it doesn't matter to me what the paint scheme of it is or anything like that. I mean, I've used bathrooms in, in beautiful you know, wonderful, luxurious things. And I've, and I've squatted over a hole in the, the sticks of Tanzania to use the bathroom. <laughs> there, there's things that it just doesn't matter. And we, we allow ourselves because we, we haven't become okay with two people melding together and becoming one. We allow small things to, to, to bother us and become hills worth dying on. There are things that are worth lengthy conversations or trying to put together a plan to fix and all that. But in the end, it really doesn't matter if my wife chews ice. Yeah, it, it bugs me a little bit. But it's not worth me potentially causing a strife or a hurt feeling or anything like that because, frankly, I can get over it. There was something that my dad always said. I think I probably said this early on in one of my podcasts, and I was so proud of my, of my son, my second oldest. We were out hunting at the end of the day, and we're sitting kind of around the fire, and here he is. He's in uh, you know, his, his pants and boots and just a T-shirt, and, uh, and everybody else there was wearing some jackets and all that, and, and the fire wasn't really big and all that, and someone said to my son, hey, aren't you cold? And he says, no, I just don't think about it. And I was like, yes, yes. There's so many things that just don't matter unless we allow ourselves to dwell on it. Don't make something that doesn't matter be a hill worth dying on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that there. But think about it. Think about stuff that, that you allow to bother you, that you allow to grow into a, a fight or a contention. Does it really matter? Number seven, what does it mean to listen rather than to hear? Consider this, if you find yourself in a conversation or an argument or whatever it is, this, this goes back to, and it, and, it, and it ties right in with being willing to separate your own opinion, your own emotion, and all that stuff. But I want you to listen to this. So I took this from, from an article called Listening Versus Hearing from Mesa Community College, and it must be a class or something. It says listening to. But it says this, hearing is simply the act of perceiving sound by the ear. If you are not hearing impaired, hearing simply happens. Listening, however, is something you consciously choose to do. Listening requires concentration so that your brain processes meaning from words and sentences. I'm going to read from the Book of Mormon here, and this was uh, after Christ had been crucified and he was resurrected and he ascended, and, uh, and the Book of Mormon gives this account of him uh, visiting the people in the Americas. And so I'm going to read 1 Nephi chapter 5, 1 through, hang on, 1 through 9, and it says this, And now it came to pass that there was a great multitude gathered together of the people of Nephi round about the temple, which was in the land bountiful. And they were marveling and wondering one with another, and showing to one another the great and marvelous change which had taken place. And they were also conversing about this Jesus Christ, of the sign which had been given concerning his death. And it came to pass that while they were thus conversing one with another, they heard a voice as if it came out of heaven. And they cast their eyes round about, for they understood not the voice which they heard. And it was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding it being a small voice, 
it did pierce them that did hear to the center, insomuch that there was no part of their frame that it did not cause to quake. Yea, it did pierce them to the very soul, and did cause their hearts to burn. And it came to pass that they again heard the voice, and they understood it not. And again the third time they did hear the voice, and did open up their ears to hear it. And their eyes were toward the sound thereof, and they did look steadfastly towards heaven from whence the sound came. And behold, the third time they did understand the voice which they had heard. And it saith unto them, Behold my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name. Hear ye him. And it came to pass, as they understood, they cast their eyes up again toward heaven, and behold, they saw a man descending out of heaven. So, you know, in this whole account, I'm not going to go into it a whole lot, um, and and I and I understand of my listeners here that not everybody uh, is a believer in the Book of Mormon, but I, I at least want you to think about um, the what I want to draw a comparison here is here we have a group of people who were gathered together, they were busy, um, they were having various conversations about things that had happened, and and they and they heard something. They heard it, but they didn't understand it. Why not? Because they were distracted. They were busy. Their minds and everything, it was, it, was, it was somewhere else. So they were hearing a noise. They perceived it. They felt it in their hearts. But it wasn't like they were actually opening up their ears to understand what was being said. And when they finally did, when they were quiet, when they considered what it was, when they listened, they heard God the Father speaking and saying, My son is about to come down to visit you, just like was prophesied and promised. And so I want you to think about that. That so often I know that that um, my wife has been frustrated with me because I, I I'm hearing her but I'm not actually listening. I hear that she's talking and I might even hear pick up a word here and there stuff like that, but I'm not actually listening to what is it that she's truly saying to me. I have this bad habit. So as a police officer and I know other officers who listen to this, you know this is true. We become we have become masters of multitasking, right? And and I can tell you this because I remember so many years as a police officer that I could be driving down the road, I could be paying attention to traffic, I could be listening to the radio of police traffic and understanding what was being said somewhere else. I have the stereo on, so I'm listening to talk radio or something like that, and I'm and I'm comprehending that. And I'm also typing on my mobile computer there, putting in license plates or looking at call information, all of these things at once. And I was able to do it without crashing my car, picking up pertinent information from police radio traffic and all that sort of stuff, right? Become a master of it. But I was never good at any one of those things when I was doing it all together. And I hope that makes sense. I didn't understand. I didn't catch every every little bit of important information. I, I got most of it, but I didn't get every bit of it from radio traffic that was be, being put out. Uh, I didn't catch every bit of information that was on the computer because I still had to traverse my eyes back and forth from the computer to the road to make sure I wasn't you know, running into people or all that. And one of the things that we fail at is is when my wife has something that she wants to talk to me about, I don't fully give my attention to actually listen to what she's saying. I have this bad habit of a lot of times because I can multitask, I'll be fiddling around on my phone and I can hear what she's saying and I and I contribute positively to the conversation. And maybe I don't even miss anything. But what is the impression that she gets from me? Now, my wife is good, and she is very forgiving, and she is understanding, and she's recognized, I guess, that I'm pretty good at this multitasking. You know, I think about it, and I'm like, wow, what if I had something that was so important to me to talk about, and my wife was busy playing around on her phone while I was trying to share something that was really important to me? It's important that we listen rather than just hear. And it's important when you're in an argument when someone is sharing things that, that are so important to them that it brings up emotion and passion, we need to be able to consider what they are saying. 
I want you to consider, you know, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of information on active listening. And you know, in the police department, we were taught about active listening because it's in active listening that you that you uh, really discern what people are saying or you gather important facts and stuff like that. You know, it's 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 part of investigatory things, you know, a good investigation. But I want you to consider active listening, you know, asking questions, listening to what they say and picking up okay, what do you mean by this? Or okay, this is what I heard you say. This is when when I when I perceived when I considered what the words were you said. This this is I'm going to regurgitate to you what this is what I think what it felt like you meant. And and this is how we have a good conversation. And this is how we understand where somebody else is coming from. And if you if you can't have a conversation with somebody where you listen rather than hear, you're, you're not going to be able to solve problems, and you're going to cause frustration. And men, I want you when you find yourself in conversations or things with your wife, give them your time. Be present there. Because what do you want to be accomplished? What do you hope this is going to accomplish at the end of it? If you're not present there, you're never really going to get it. And you, when you're sharing something that is deep and important to you or some frustration or someone has hurt you or whatever it is, you want them to be present in that conversation as well. Be the leader in this. Sometimes people just want to be heard. Imagine if you were never heard. And think about this. Imagine if Jesus Christ never listened to you. Imagine if you spent time in prayer and you never had any recognition that he heard you. What would your relationship be like? Now, I I have this relationship with the Lord where I pray and I share my feelings and my my heart and all those things. And, 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 and you know, I don't always get what I want, but I do know that he hears me. There is a, a give and a take and a recognition of Christ as he is as he is interacting with me when we're having a conversation. He listens. Number eight, when we find ourselves in, in these conversations or we find yourself in a contention, you know, I want you to take it seriously. Just because we may not agree or we don't see why they're upset doesn't mean it's unimportant. You know, if you consider your marriage is supposed to be fashioned after Christ and and the church, when does Christ ignore us? What about us? Or what about our feelings? Or what about our concerns are unimportant to him? When I look at the scriptures, I look at it, and I've read the Bible cover to cover multiple times. I've read the Book of Mormon cover to cover multiple times. I see that everything that affects us in life is addressed therein. And I see that Christ gave us his spirit, this, this, this way to interact with us, because everything that matters to us matters to him. He takes us seriously. Take your wife seriously. Just because you don't agree with why she's upset, or you don't understand why her emotion has taken her there, it doesn't mean it's unimportant. Our example of Jesus Christ He doesn't ignore us. And nothing, our feelings, our concerns, nothing is unimportant to him. So he's about building us, and he's about drawing us, and he's about holding us close to him and becoming one with us. And that means everything's important to him. Take it seriously. Number nine, there can be no throwing of darts. Uh, What I want to talk about here is I want to talk about this is our human frailty, and this is our failure that we love to dredge up the past. 
We love to dredge up the past. I want you to consider this. When you start using phrases like, you always do that, or you did that before, or the last time, those are darts. Those are daggers. Forgiveness means just this, that you do not bring up the past. It's over. I recognized you did something that hurt me, that frustrated me. I've accepted your apology. And it's not going to be something that becomes ammunition for the next time you do it. You know, we look in the scriptures and you look in, in, in the gospels there and you see this Christ, he talked about forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. You know, the apostles came to him and said, how many times do we forgive our brother? You know, he sins against us. Seven times? Do we do it seven times? And Christ says, no, you are 70 times seven. He, you know, and he wasn't given an exact number. He's saying, hey, listen, forgiveness is continual. But you know, something I want you to remember is what forgiveness is. So I've got three scriptures and something else I want to talk about because we do this I know we do this. And even if we don't verbalize it, the fact that somebody had hurt us before or they've done whatever it is before, when, when we haven't let the Lord take it from us, it becomes part of what makes us emotional, frustrated, angry, and all that. So even if you don't say, you always do that. A lot of times it's in the back of our mind. And that's, and that's not the way forgiveness is supposed to be. So Jeremiah 31, 34 says, They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord. And this is the part I want you to look at. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And Isaiah 44, 22, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. You know, in these three verses I just grabbed from the Old Testament here, it gives you this picture, this understanding of what it is. There's another place where it says that, that your sins, you know, when you're forgiven, it's thrown in the depths of the sea. That tells me that one day when I stand before the Lord, what I have truly asked for forgiveness for, where I've seen my failing and I've been convicted that I should not have done it, and I ask the Lord, man, you've got to forgive me. I, I should not have done that, and I don't want to do it again. Help me. Forgive me. He forgives my iniquity, and it's remembered no more. It's as far away as the east is from the west. They will never meet. It's blotted out as a thick cloud that sin can't even be seen. Imagine, imagine if, you know, when you feel convicted by some sin in your life and you go to the Lord, Lord, you have to forgive me. Imagine if the Lord were to speak to you and say, but you did that before. I mean, this isn't the first time you've done that. Well, you did it last week and you asked the same thing. What sort of a relationship would you have? The Lord's promise is, is that he will remove our transgressions. They'll be remembered no more. And there is this really cool story, and I found it all over the internet. I remember there was a sermon many years ago preached here about it. I can only assume that it's true. When missionaries went up into Alaska, and they were there among the Inuit people, and as they were trying to teach, they realized that while there was a concept... Because there is in every society, there's a concept of forgiveness. They didn't actually have a word that meant forgiveness. And so they had to, these missionaries, they had to come up through the Inuit language for a word for forgiveness. And so the rough translation of it, I'm not going to say the Inuit word, but the rough translation in, in English was this word meant not being able to think about it anymore. I realize that there are some things that I that I I've done that hurt my wife multiple times before I'm finally able to put it behind me that that's not something that I struggle with anymore that's not uh, something that's going to hurt her anymore whatever it is and I'm grateful that in those times that I've done something you know, there was a time where I was, I was really bad with money. You know, buy things because I just wanted to. I was terrible with it, and my wife would be like, "You can't do that." 
Ah, I'm sorry. Never once did she say, you did it before. This is the third time, Adam. She never did that. Each of those times I'd ask for forgiveness. I, you know, I was trying to do something different. I just didn't have control. You know? And this probably applies to you in some way. But I want you to think about it. We do not have the right to throw darts at each other. Forgiveness means just that. And you as a husband, you as a man, need to be pursuing forgiveness. Someone hurts you, you ask them, you talk to them about it. You talk to the Lord about it. Hey, listen, this has really hurt me. This has made me angry. Help me with this. Help me, help me to forgive them. Help me to put this behind. Help me that this is not something that gets dredged up every time I see their face. You have to do it. And when you find yourself in a disagreement or something with your spouse, with, with someone in your life, don't you dare. Don't you dare bring up darts to throw at them. Don't do it. Don't do it. You wouldn't want them to do it to you, and you don't want Christ to do it to you because nobody's been wronged more. Nobody's been wronged more than he has. Yet I stand as a man who has been forgiven over and over again when I've done things, when I've failed of my promise to the Lord. In those times when I did something again and I come to the Lord crying like I am right now, Lord, you've got to forgive me for this. And rather than being tormented, rather than feeling guilt anymore, I feel this peace. The Lord forgives me because he sees my heart. This is what we are supposed to be. It's Christ-like. And it's not easy. Number 10, this is my last one. The work is continual and it's on yourself. There is always going to be potential for conflict, and anything can be made into conflict if that's where your heart is. There are people who always seem to be primed to fight. That was me at one point. I have in my notes, is this you? And if it is, is your life happy? When everything is a potential conflict and contention, are you truly happy? Do you want God's blessing? And if you do, do you understand that it can never come through the tools of the devil? Your life is about working on yourself. It's about continual change. Change is difficult, but part of being a man of action is, is you're examining yourself. When you're seeing your failures and you're seeing your weaknesses, you're looking at how you can change that. You're putting yourself before the Lord and saying, I need help here. I feel like I am a success story in this because there was a time in my life, and, I've, and I said this in the last one, where I was just angry and I was primed to fight. And I came to this point where I, said, I, I cannot be happy like this. Lord, you've got to help me. And if I'm not careful, this is something that will dredge back up again. So the work is continual. We are in an endurance race to eternal life. Our expectation should be that we are going to be battling things until the day that we lay this all down. When we leave this broken world, there's going to be work to do. My last point I have here on this one is the Lord is able to soften a willing heart. When you want the Lord to work with you, he can do anything. He can work on a willing heart. And I've said it in times past, you know, the Lord doesn't force. He hasn't taken away your right. He hasn't taken away your ability to choose. So when you, in your ability, in your right to decide where you want to go and what you want to do, when you ask the Lord, help me here, soften my heart, help me to deal with this right, give me the strength, whatever it is, when you can do that, the Lord is able to work. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, Likewise, you husbands, speaking of, of, of their relationship with their wives, likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. It says that we're supposed to, to dwell with our wife according to knowledge. You need to understand her. And in taking time to understand this person that you've come together, and it'll help to stop conflict. My wife knows things that will bother me. She will tell me sometimes, she'll be having conversations with people, and they'll say, hey, we were thinking about this. 
you know, what do you think? Would Adam like this? And she said, no, no, that would bother him. He, he wouldn't like that because she knows me. And I know things that are going to bother my wife. I know decisions I can make that's going to bother her. I know things that I could say from the past that have hurt her that I won't say again. I, I try to know and understand my wife. It's part of my job as a husband. And that's your job. And that's also my job in my friendships. That's also my job is to understand those people. To you know, We're, we're, we're about coming together. It says that I'm supposed to give honor unto my wife. I'm supposed to lift her up. I said in a previous one, you will not hear me criticize my wife. You will not hear me speak poorly of my wife. Not a chance. My wife is amazing. And I will build her and lift her up. That's what Christ does for the church, for his people. He honors them. He builds them up. He does things to strengthen them, to present to himself, like it says, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, something that is beautiful. You don't do that by tearing somebody up. It says, under the weaker vessel. And, you know, I look at that not as that my wife is weak and unable because I watched that woman give birth to four kids. I don't, I'm glad that that's not anything I have to do. And she did it without screaming or crying or having pain medication. Dude, right? <laughs> My wife isn't weak, but she's not the same as me. She's not the same as me. And I've laid out in previous podcasts my abilities that I could rip somebody to shreds if I wanted to, especially someone who has given her heart to me. But instead of taking advantage, instead of lashing out, instead of any of those things that I have the ability to do, my responsibility is to honor her, lift her up. And it says that we are heirs together. We are recipients. We look forward to, it says, the grace of life, God's favor together. And then this last portion of this verse, men, you need to think about this. It says that your prayers be not hindered. Conflict in your life, conflict with your spouse, conflict in general, it drives a wedge between you and God. It drives a wedge. Sin drives a wedge. Anger, retaliation, vengeance, throwing darts at you, all these things, they drive a wedge between you and God. It's a lot of work. I want you to think about how to fight. There is a way to disagree. But men, I want you to be men of action. What in what I've shared in these last two podcasts about contention and about fighting, what applies to you? And as a man of action, how do you address that? As a man of responsibility, how are you responsible for your own spiritual welfare and also for that of these people who are involved in your life? What responsibility do you have when your spouse is hurt? Do you consider that that you have some God-given responsibility over those things? How do you address it as a leader? How do you set the standard? I've said it in podcast after podcast, be the first to forgive. Lead that. Lead apologizing. Lead trying to handle situations. Lead being calm and peaceful. Lead ensuing peace. Be a man of leadership and expectation. I expect that if I handle things the way that Christ told me to, that there will always be a good outcome. I likewise expect that if I use the tools of Satan, I will only honor him and I will only get what he is able to give, which is misery, nothing that is lasting and good. So I want you to consider these things. I want you to consider Ephesians chapter 5, man. That really should be something that, that helps you to see it. How does Christ handle you? This is your example. So arise from the dust and be men.